Well, good morning. I uh, um, am excited to be here with all of you this morning as we continue in this series in the Psalms. I, uh, my wife and I have a bit of a, a tradition now that our kids are older and we don't have a activities as much on Saturday mornings as we used to when they were running off to soccer and all these different things. And for parents that are in that stage right now where you're running your kids to a bunch of different sports on Saturday morning, I will tell you, uh, it's wonderful when that ends. Um, and I, uh, we, we have this, we get up and, and we'll make a cup of coffee and we just have gotten into this kind of this habit of turning on one of those like HGTV home remodeling shows. I'm not sure why. We kind of like it. It it's, captures our interest, whatever. And we'll, we'll watch one of these shows on Saturday morning. And, um, and if you've noticed those, if you've ever watched these shows, it's kind of become a, a big deal when they come into a home and start the demolition, right? And I think this started with kind of the Chip and Joanna Gaines in the demo day. And they'll be like throwing sledgehammers around and all this kind of insane stuff, which isn't really a reflection of how anybody does demo in the real world, but it's kind of how it's depicted on these shows. And, and yet there's something about that approach to demolition that is, is based on a certain assumption. And that is that there's nothing in this room or in this home that is of value. There's nothing that you're worried about breaking. There's nothing that you feel like you need to preserve. Because if you are doing demolition for a restoration or a preservation, right, you come in with care. You come in and you, you mask off or you protect the hardwood floors that you want to keep or you uh, have this... Um, beautiful, ornate molding that you want to preserve. And so you carefully pull the stuff away that doesn't belong in order to preserve what is beautiful and what you want to keep. And as we've been in this series on the, the questions of the Psalms, we've entitled this Questioning God. We've talked about this process um, that, that is kind of a part of a cultural conversation right now called deconstruction, where we're looking at aspects and qualities of our faith that, that we're rethinking. And, and that's important and is valuable, but I would suggest this morning that the, our approach to spiritual deconstruction matters. That we aren't so much looking to do demo, or at least we need to ask ourselves that question, but rather we're looking to uncover something real and something beautiful, and, and ultimately something that's true. So we all, at, at one point in time in our faith journey or another, we're going to have moments where we come to an awareness that our understanding of who God is, or, or who we are, or how we relate to God, that, that we have things that are off, things that are incorrect or misguided, and we need to be in the process of, of carefully coming in in order to remove this debris of misunderstanding, this debris of whether it's just sort of a cultural version of who God is or what it means to follow him or something that we've grown up with or whatever it is that we need to come and, and thoughtfully and carefully remove that away in order to get to what is true and accurate in order to understand more fully who God is. 
So that, that happens, that requires of us to come with an approach that's, that's prayerful and, and, and study, and it, it requires humility at its core for us to enter into this process. And I would contend once again that it, it really involves community in our lives. Again, that's, that in my mind, this is the sort of deconstruction that ultimately leads us to a fuller, deeper relationship with God. And God, again, he invites us to ask our questions. So with this in mind, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 42. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this or, or felt this way. Like my initial impression of the Psalms as I grew up in the church was that the, the Psalms were largely these poems that are really joyful and really celebratory. And there's like these incredible expressions of praise. And so if maybe if you were having a rough day, you would go read a Psalm and you would feel encouraged and, and build up. And that's definitely there. It's definitely a part of, of what is included in these ancient Hebrew poems. But when I was in college, uh, poems, when I was in college, I started to read through the Psalms like entirely. And, and I was sort of like, well, these aren't all joyful. You know, th these aren't all just like David or the other authors being like, God is amazing and everything is great and let's party. Um, in fact, there's a lot of these Psalms. Uh, the poetry is really dealing with how do I understand God in the midst of fear? H how do I understand who God is in the midst, in the face of injustice? What, what about when my, I'm disillusioned? with my faith and, and the nature and character of, of who God is as I understand it. As we'll see today, what, what does it look like when I'm facing a very real case of, of spiritual depression where the psalmist feels like God is abandoned them? How, how do I understand it in the face of that? And so we're going to look at Psalm 42. Before we do that, let's pray and, and we'll get in this psalm together. Father, we do just thank you for community. We thank you for being able to gather and ask questions and, and think thoughtfully and prayerfully about who you are and how you meet us and, and how we understand life in view of all of that. And God, we want to do that with honesty and we want to do that <coughs> with humility. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I, um, I have a lingering COVID souvenir that is this cough, and it's sort of like a, uh, the doctor called it a temporary asthma, so I apologize. It gets, seems to get worse when I sing and when I talk, which is, makes Sunday mornings rough. So um, let's, uh, we're going to look <coughs> through the lens. <coughs> Um, we're going to look through the lens of this psalm at the question of why do I feel so down and depressed? And if God is this God of joy, if we are to be a people of joy, and we've talked about that before when we were looking at Philippians and some of Paul's letters, if, if that's supposed to be true to me, then why am I experiencing this? And, and we're going to begin by noticing that the psalmist starts from a state of desperation, the psalmist begins at a state of desperation. Let's read Psalm 42 together. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water. So you'll recognize maybe these first few stanzas um, because we sing them frequently. So my soul pants for you, my God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remembered as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and the heights of Haran, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love, and at night, his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Again, David is, he is starting this. Thank you, Eric. Oh, man, what a guy. David begins this psalm in this, this state of desperation. I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where you've had like a, a moment where as a kid, I remember singing this song running around the house that I had heard on the radio. I think it was a, a Rolling Stones song, and I didn't understand the lyrics of the song. And, and so I was singing along, and eventually my parents came and said, like, you may not want to sing that song, son. It turns out that the lyrics were far more um, adult than... <laughs> than I understood or realized. And so I'm walking around singing this. And I kind of get that same feeling when I read Psalm 42. Because if you've ever read this, if you've ever sang, and we, I think we sang it last week, as the deer pants for the water, it often comes across as this expression of, of this sense of longing. And it comes from this place where it's like, I just want to be with God and God is good. And, and I desire this. And and yet when you go in and you read Psalm 42, the sentiment that the, the, the author is operating from is a place of desperation, of oh, despair, really. Look again at, at verses one through three. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? It's coming from a place of like, I'm dying of thirst here. My tears, so he starts by this sense of God's presence being this life-giving source for him. And then he says, instead, my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? And then flip over to verse 9 and 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? 
Trimper Longman, in his uh, commentary on the psalm, says this. He says, as we will see, this simile is fueled by a palpable feeling of divine absence in the midst of attack by others. In other words, the image is not the sentiment of a person who has a satisfying relationship with God that he wants to go deeper, but rather it is an expression of exasperation by someone who feels abandoned by God. Sort of changes the way we think about the worship song. The psalmist describes their condition as downcast, as as forgotten, oppressed. His bones are in mortal agony. The psalmist writes from a place of, of spiritual depression, a place where God feels distance or perhaps even worse, disinterested. Spiritually speaking, he is dying of thirst. Have you been there? Are you there now? St. John of the Cross in, in the early or mid-16th century, he wrote about this season of faith um, that we experience where God feels distant from us, and he talked about it as the dark night of the soul. A season in which our experience of God feels more like absence than it does like presence. It can come as a result of of some sort of external experience or pressure, as seems to be the case here in Psalm 42. Or sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of a spiritual desert for, for really no clear reason as to why. And and the thirst becomes more than we can bear. Interestingly enough, St. John of the Cross suggests that sometimes God leads us into a season of dryness or of desperation, not because he's punishing us or because we've done something wrong, but rather because it is a season of preparation that is ultimately, when we journey through it, intended to lead us into a deeper intimacy with him. I do... um, before we move on and, and, and look at how the psalmist responds in the midst of this desperate state, I, I want to make an important distinction here. And that is the distinction between clinical depression and, and what the psalmist is dealing with here of spiritual depression. Chemical depression in, in, in a, <coughs> I'm an expert in the field. But from what I understand, it involves our brain chemistry and our bodies and it's physical and our brains, like every other organ in our body, can malfunction and it creates issues in our, in our experience. Spiritual depression, on the other hand, is this sense, this experience where God feels far from us, where we feel perhaps abandoned by him. And so these experiences in our hearts and lives, they can overlap for sure. We're not just strictly physical or strictly spiritual. We exist in our human bodies as both of these things. And the implications of those can overlap, but we make a mistake when we fail to understand them and then ultimately treat them as distinctive experiences. This is why we, we work so closely with Christian therapists in our community that can help walk alongside us and discern with us what it is that we're ultimately experiencing and and how to navigate that experience. 
I would encourage you, if you ever find yourself in that place, and when I say if you ever find yourself, when you find yourself to some degree in those places, reach out. We, we constantly are referring to people, to counselors in our community that we trust and know and have built relationships with us to help us navigate these things. I tell people all the time, I am a pastor. I can pray with you. I, I can talk with you about experiences of, of spiritual depression where we feel like God has abandoned us and we can look at things together and speak truth to each other. And, but I am not a trained therapist. And those roles are distinctive. And so we want to be able to offer that support in, 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 in your hearts and lives. And I am of the conviction that all of us at different seasons of our life need to see somebody who can help us navigate what we're experiencing. And so let me just put that out there for you. That is a resource that is available to you. Additionally, if you've been paying attention to the news, we have seen that... that um, our mental health is not doing great. The Surgeon General just, just several weeks ago put out a report basically indicating that our adolescents, our teenagers are struggling. And if you read that report, it is, it's concerning. And um, we want you to know that when it comes to anxiety and depression, we have a few resources available here at the church. Um, we have support groups, both for men and women. The women's group is launching uh, soon. It's on Tuesday nights. So if that is your experience, um, we, we would encourage you to get into a support group. We are actively now looking for a couple men to help lead the men's support group for men dealing with anxiety and depression. And then we're launching a third group that is beginning in February, and that is for parents who are walking alongside of kids who are wrestling with anxiety and depression. And if any of those um, would be a support to you or an encouragement to you, uh, reach out to me. Uh, I'll give you all the details and the information and we'd love to encourage you to, again, community matters in the midst of all of this and, and we want to recognize that. And so I wanna, I wanna continue on, but I think that distinction is important as we look at what the psalmist is dealing with here. And now the psalmist responds in the midst of this state of desperation in a sense of remembering, what I'm calling remembering and preaching. Remembering and preaching. This is back in, in Psalm 42, verse four and five. Look what the psalmist writes. He says, these things I remember as I, <coughs> as I pour out my soul. Where am I? How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. <coughs> I apologize. I'm sorry. Um, there is a, a um, method. Again, I'm, I'm not a trained therapist, but I am friends with some that sometimes gets used in the context of marriage counseling, I know for sure, I'm sure it gets used in other contexts as well, but it really is a practice or an exercise in, in remembering. <coughs> and when a couple comes in to receive counseling, sometimes the counselor will bring them back into this place of remembering when and, and why they fell in love. The idea behind it being that in the practice or the understanding of recalling how you came to this place in your relationship that it might 
help chart for you a path towards restoring that relationship as the couple sort of re-engages in what drew them together in the first place. And, and again, that there's, there's two sides to this, but this is the psalmist is, is focused on this as he thinks about this practice of remembering and preaching. Notice the three things the psalmist says he does here. First, the psalmist says he poured out his soul. These things I remembered as I pour out my soul. I, I think this is what we're seeing in the first three verses of this psalm. An honest expression of the condition of our souls. And it begins in this place of honesty and humility. Again, like we're not telling God something he doesn't already know about where we're at. Really, the honesty is for our benefit. It's for us to be able to recognize in in humility and honesty and transparency before God, hey, this is where I'm at, and this is what I'm struggling with. And then the psalmist says that they remembered these things I remembered as I poured out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throne. And let's be honest for a moment. Right? Remembering can be a bit of a mixed bag. Here the psalmist recalls being in the presence of God. He remembers this sense of, of safety and joy as he worshiped Yahweh in the temple. But as he remembers, this also highlights the very thing that he feels like he's missing. The, the, the longing, the remembering, although it can be painful, this is actually critical because it's the soul's expression of our need and desire. Right, the psalmist is saying, I, I want to be back there. I want to be back where, where I feel your presence with me. I want to be worshiping with your people. I want to experience the joy of being in the temple, being in the presence of God. I can remember it. I think that, that while remembering can be difficult and at times painful we're, when we're spiritually in this place, I think it is actually a far better place to be than indifference or, or perhaps a, a misguided sense of, of where we're at spiritually, a misguided sense of reality. That puts us in a far worse place. So while it might be painful, the psalmist takes time, actively remembers what it is that, that he's longing for. And then third, he, he preaches. He preaches to himself, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Right? Who is the psalmist talking to here? His soul, himself. Timothy Keller uh, did a, a short meditation on Psalm 42, and um, and and. While I always appreciate his insight and wisdom and, and really value his um, teaching, uh, this psalm, his meditation on this psalm really struck me because he, he's done it. He was walking through it in the sense in this, this awareness that he has stage four pancreatic cancer and that outside of a miracle, really, God's divine hand on his life is, is um, he will pass away from it. And as he was processing this psalm, it, it, it reminds you that this isn't theoretical for Timothy Keller as he's saying this. 
He's experiencing this. And he made this distinction when he was reading this part of the psalm between what he said, talking to yourself, or what I've called preaching, and not listening to yourself. So this is the practice of actively declaring what you believe to be true, even in the moments of life when you don't feel like it's true. And I think this is important. And so when that voice in our head starts to say things to us, like, of course God feels distant. Of course you don't feel close to him. Why would he? You failed him too many times. You've turned your back on him so many times. Why would he be close to you? When we start to preach to ourselves, we're saying, I'm not listening to that voice, but rather I'm going to speak truth into my circumstances. And this is more than than positive self-talk. It's God's truth spoken into our experience. One, one example of this, in this passage, this is from Ephesians chapter three, and it's one that I, I frequently have to preach to myself. It's, it's a passage that I often pray for us as a community, and then it's a passage that I come back to time and time again knowing that I need to hear it. It, it says this, this is from Ephesians three, verse 16. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, Sterling, with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. And I pray that you, Sterling, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Like I I have to come back to this and I have to recite it to myself and preach it to myself and declare it to be true, particularly in the moments when I am most frequently doubting that that is true. In the moments when, when that does not feel like my experience and my reality, I gotta say it and I gotta say it out loud and I gotta say it with passion and I gotta preach it to me because I can recognize I need to know it and I need to understand it and I can say, Jesus, this does not feel like my reality right now. But I'm gonna gonna declare this out loud. I'm gonna preach it to myself. I'm gonna affirm the truth of it. The psalmist models this for us. And then thirdly, he teaches us this, and this is really the linchpin in this entire psalm, and this is the promise of covenant hope. Covenant hope. When I was a kid, I grew up in this small rural town in Ohio, um, and it was the county seat of, of Preble County. And because we were the county seat, we had the fairgrounds, which means every year the fair was in our little hometown. And we, my brothers and I would ride our bikes over to the fairgrounds, and, and all the money that we saved mowing lawns and doing paper routes would get, like, blown in one week on elephant ears and uh, carnival rides. Um, and it was just, it was part of our tradition, and there was this ride at the county fair called the Gravitron. Has anybody, everybody ever had a spin on the Gravitron? Okay, this should not be legal in any, uh, any sort of thoughtful place, but the way this ride works is you get in there and it's this cylinder, and you lean against the wall, and then it just starts to rotate to the point where the centrifugal force holds you against the wall. And then when it gets going fast enough, the floor drops out um, and you're just spinning. You're basically in like a washing machine. You're just spinning 
nonstop. And we paid to do this for some reason. And, and if you ever have done this, what's the first thing that you do when you get off the Gravitron? We'll throw up. Yeah, okay. What's the second thing you do when you get off the Gravitron? You look for anything that's solid. Like your friend that was not stupid enough to go on the Gravitron, you go and you like stand next to them and hold them or a fence post or the corner of a building because you're, the whole world is spinning for you and you're looking for anything to cling to that is stable. This is, this is where we find the psalmist. Again, back in, in Psalm 42, verse seven and eight. And this really, I think, again, I think this is the linchpin to everything that the psalmist is experiencing here. He says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. <coughs> By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. At the outset of this psalm, the, the psalmist uses the metaphor, the simile of water. And it's depicted as this experience, the source of life. A life we experience in the presence of God. But here, the psalmist... This <coughs> is... It's like right when I'm building up to a dramatic point. That's what's frustrating me. Yeah, read the water. This is life. I planned this. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. Here the psalmist talks about water, and he's actually using this ancient Hebrew imagery that we see throughout the psalms and in other places as this source of, of chaos, of this sense of the destructive. It's sweeping over the psalmist. In fact, if you look at just a few psalms over in Psalm 69, the psalmist says, Save me, O God, from the waters, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the murray depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. You can hear the sense of desperation and despair. So the, the psalmist sees themselves in the deep waters. And it's turbulent and it's destructive. And what, what is there to hold on to? What is, what is solid in the midst of the chaos? Verse 8 says, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is written, a prayer to the God of my life. That word there for love is the Hebrew word hesed, which we've talked about before. It's hesed is far more than emotion or sentiment. In fact, the real gravity behind the word hesed really is this idea of, of covenant loyalty. God's faithful promise. It's love that's based in something that is solid and unmovable. This is where the psalmist is finding their stability. This is what he finds to be solid and true as chaos surrounds him. There's a, um, an organization that does what they call exegetical artwork. They, they'll create pieces of art that are meant to depict um, the truth of passages of scripture. And one artist created this image and it, it's, from Psalm chapter 42, verse seven. And it's difficult to see, but it depicts this 
Um, if you see down at the very bottom of the screen, the individual, the person suffering and the waves crashing in around him. <coughs> and the, ar- the artist said this, it says, in this image, the darkness and the waves all but engulf the floundering sufferer framed at the bottom of the scene. Both the man's size and position are intended to evoke the sense of abandonment and desperation we hear from the psalmist in Psalm 42, 7. However, standing over all the darkness and chaos of the storm is a single point of not quite eclipsed light. This light, which is the sufferer's, is in the sufferer's direct line of sight, alludes to the hope that the psalmist clings to even in his separation from the Lord's presence. Though it is night, Yahweh still gives his covenant people a song, a prayer that their God, to their God that ends with the hopeful refrain, I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God. See, the psalmist refrain throughout this poem, in the midst that feeling like God is absent, that he is alone, he comes back and he preaches to his soul time and time again, and he says, put your hope in God. Put your hope in the promise, this hesed, this covenant loyalty. And for you and I as followers of Jesus on this side of the cross, we can recognize and understand the reality, the experience of that is realized in the person and the promise of Jesus. Think for a moment to John chapter four, where Jesus is standing by a well, and he asked the woman there who's been sort of outcast by society if he might have a drink. And as she draws water for Jesus, Jesus says to her this in, verse, in John chapter 4, everyone who drinks this water will, again, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's, it's Hesed, it's covenant loyalty. I will be for you the promise that I have made. And we experience it in Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we don't enter seasons when when he feels far from us. It doesn't mean that we don't go through experiences where we feel abandoned, where we're wondering where the presence of God is. But rather, it reminds us that Jesus is our covenant hope. He's the promise fulfilled. He's promised that he would give his Holy Spirit, that we would be the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we would never be alone. In the moments when we feel like that is absolutely not the case, we pour out our soul, we remember, we let our souls remember so that we can declare our desires and our hope. And we preach to ourselves that Jesus is our covenant hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we do just thank you again. Lord, for the opportunity to look at at honest and yet difficult passages where people's experience and their their desire feels unmet and you feel far from them. And so, Lord, in the midst of that, we cling to your promise and we don't wanna, we won't wanna dismiss these experiences, Lord, because even when we feel that you are far off, Lord, we know that we can look at and cling to the promise, the covenant hope, the hesed love that is the person of Jesus. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.